Well, I want you to take your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Chronicles, chapter number 29. 2 Chronicles, chapter number 29. Now, before we read our text, let me just remind you of what we looked at in the last week. We started a couple weeks ago looking verse by verse through the life of Hezekiah. Now, remember last week we looked in the Hezekiah, when he became king, the first thing on his agenda, the first thing on his priority list, if you will, was to bring Israel back to the worship of the Lord. Now, you remember his father Ahaz had led Israel, who also was king before him, had led Israel into deep idolatry. And so much so that he was bent on stamping out worship of God in the nation of Israel. So much so that he even nailed the doors of the temple shut, whereby Israel could not go in and worship God in the way God had designed for him to be worshipped. And so the priest even followed King Ahaz, and in following him, even they gave themselves to idolatry. Now, what we find is Hezekiah becomes king, and he goes straight against his father in that he begins immediately to restore worship unto Israel. Now, you have to understand, Israel was under great, great threat by the Assyrians. And it would have been so easy for the king of Israel to put the protection of Israel above everything else. But Hezekiah understood that being obedient and walking in the will and ways of God was far more important than him trying to protect Israel because he understood that when they walked in the will of God, God would be their protection. And so the first thing Hezekiah did was he told the priest to cleanse the temple. Now the priests first cleansed themselves and then they began to cleanse the temple. So they got all the idolatrous images and, and those things out of the temple. They began to repair the doors of the temple where Israel could now enter back in. And they began to form or make the articles of the temple that Ahaz had destroyed and Ahaz had cut apart. And so what we, broke, what we left off last week was in verse 19... And the priest had come to Hezekiah, and they said to Hezekiah, We have cleansed the temple. We've restored the articles of the temple. It is all done. We've done everything that we are supposed to do. And so that's where we left off last week. Now, this is where we pick up this morning in verse number 20. So if you would please stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word. The Bible says, Then Hezekiah the king rose early and gathered the rulers of the city and went up to the house of the Lord. And they brought seven bullocks, seven rams, seven lambs, and seven he goats for a sin offering for the kingdom and for the sanctuary and for Judah. And he commanded the priests, the sons of Aaron, to offer them on the altar of the Lord. So they killed the bullocks, and the priests received the blood and sprinkled it on the altar. Likewise, when they had killed the rams, they sprinkled the blood upon the altar. They killed also the lambs, and they sprinkled the blood upon the altar. And they brought forth the he-goats for the sin offering, 
before the king and the congregation, and they laid their hands upon them. And the priests killed them, and they made reconciliation with their blood upon the altar to make an atonement for all Israel. For the king commanded that the burnt offering and the sin offering should be made for all Israel. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you today. Now, Father, for the glorious perfection of your word. And Father, how you, uh, in the Old Testament, uh, shows us exactly, uh, Father, your desire and your plan through the Lord Jesus in the New Testament. And so, Father, I pray today that you would speak to our hearts through this passage. May it be a help to us. And, Father, we'll give you the praise, the honor, and the glory in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, amen. You may be seated. I want to preach this morning on restored worship. Restored worship. Now, what we find here is now that the temple has been cleansed, the priests have sanctified themselves, and the, all the articles of worship are now in place in the temple as God designed it and as God commanded it. What's the first thing Hezekiah done? Well, I want you to look at this with me. First thing we're going to look at is the priority of reconciliation. The priority of reconciliation. In other words, the Bible says here in verse 20, Hezekiah king rose early and gathered the rules of the city and went up to the house of the Lord. So what took place? Well, the priest come and told him, Hey, Hezekiah, we got it all clean. It's ready, it's ready to obey God. It's ready for us to do as God commanded us to do. And what did Hezekiah do? Immediately, in the morning, early in the morning, he rose and immediately he went to the house of God. You say, why? Because he understood that there was something that was an urgent, urgent matter. Look at this with me at the awareness of the need. What did Hezekiah have an awareness of? He had an awareness that they couldn't worship. Even though the temple's been cleansed and even though the articles of the temple are back in place, he said, you still can't worship until we be reconciled to God. And so the urgent awareness of Hezekiah was this, that we have one thing we have to do before we can do anything else. And he said, that is, we must be reconciled to God. You say, why? Because Israel had gave themselves to idolatry under Ahaz. And, and Hezekiah knew that they must first allow God to deal with that sin through blood before they could ever begin to worship. Now, one of the greatest things that keeps people from worshiping is they don't have awareness of their sin. Now listen to what I'm about to say. Your flesh will excuse away a lot of actions that you and I do. I mean, sometimes we get so prideful thinking, I can do this and it doesn't matter. I got news for you, it matters. Because, y'all gonna love me, say amen. If you and I don't get clean before God and clean with others. I don't care what you do, how good, how well motivated you think you are. It will not be accepted as worship before God. The first thing that they had to do was deal with their sin. They had to deal with their sin. There had to be an awareness that this was an urgent matter. It's something that could not wait. The house of the Lord was ready. But yet now Hezekiah had to bring atonement to the people of Israel. But notice secondly, not only the awareness of the need, but the acknowledgement of the need. Now watch what it says. 
The Bible says in verse 21 that Hezekiah, they brought the bullocks and the lambs and the rams and the goats, and they brought them for the kingdom, for the sanctuary, for Judah. Verse 22, they killed the bullocks and the priests received the blood, sprinkled it up on the altar. But watch verse 23. And they brought forth the he-goats for the sin offering before the king and the congregation, and they laid their hands upon them. Now why is this significant? Because, see, the priests now are offering these sacrifices on behalf of the nation of Israel, whereby they would be an atonement sacrifice for the sins of Israel. And so the priests are acting on the behalf of Israel, but what happened to happen? There had to be an awareness, but there had to be an acknowledgement. And you say, what do you mean acknowledgement? Well, if you read Leviticus about these offerings, here's, here's what God says. God says, when you bring a sin offering, when you bring an offering unto me that you're to lay your hands upon the offering, in so doing, the priest would confess the sins of Israel upon that offering. You see, here's the reality. You can be aware of your sin and still not be willing to acknowledge your sin. See, there's a big difference between to be aware and, and acknowledge. Now, if you have the Spirit of God and you can live if you will, in disobedience to God, and the Spirit of God doesn't deal with you, that's a whole other area whereby we can talk about that in a whole other sermon. But here's the reality. The reality is that one thing it is to be aware of my sin that hinders my worship. The other thing is, is to acknowledge my sin that hinders my worship. I mean, this is what the priests had to do. They had to confess the sins of Israel upon the, the head of these goats that were going to be the sin offering. Why? Because of their idolatry. And so can you imagine as those priests began to confess the laws of God in which they broke upon the heads of these goats? Why? Because these, the blood of these animals would be what God required to forgive them and to reconcile them unto himself. And Hezekiah understood that worship could not begin until this was dealt with. Now, here's the reality. As I said a minute ago, you can be aware of your sin and still not acknowledge your sin. You know why? Because your flesh will fight against that tooth and nail. You say, why will your flesh fight? Because it causes you to be humble. It causes you to have to admit you're wrong. And can I tell you one thing your flesh don't like? Saying I'm wrong. I mean, it's amazing. Things I see over the years as a pastor, things people do, and it seems to not bother them at all. And they think, they think they're justified in doing what they're doing. I got news for you, folks. Listen to me. You and I need to get to the place where not only are we aware of our sin, but we are willing more than willing to acknowledge our sin. And you say, well, why is that? Well, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins. Now, do y'all see the conditional there? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. In other words, there has to be an acknowledgement. You have to say about your sin what God says about your sin. And so the reality is that these priests, under the, under the leadership of Hezekiah, they said we've got to restore worship, but we cannot restore worship until we first deal with our sin. And so they acknowledge their sin by laying their hands upon that animal. Now, thirdly, you see the atonement for the sin. 
You see this in verse 22, verse 23. It says over and over again, it says, and they killed the, the ram or they killed the lamb and they placed the blood upon the altar, the blood upon the altar, the blood upon the altar. Why? Because God had determined the only way that sin could be dealt with was through blood. Now, here's the reality. The word atonement that's used here in this passage means to cover. Now, I've taught this to y'all before, but let me remind you of it. The uh, covering of your sin is an Old Testament term. I'm glad today God doesn't cover our sin. I'm glad that through Jesus Christ, the blood of bulls and goats in the Old Testament, all they could do was cover sin, but yet God would, would, would reconcile his children unto himself because their sins were covered. But aren't you glad today that the Lamb of God, the sacrifice, the one, the only one that could appease a holy God, that Jesus didn't die to to cover your sins. He didn't bleed to cover your sins. He bled to take away your sins. And so you and I can worship. Why? Because Jesus Christ through his blood took away our sin. And when you and I come to him and acknowledge our sin... Confession just means this. You say of your sin what God says of your sin. You see your sin the way God sees your sin. And when we come and acknowledge that before him, in faith, in repentance, here's what happened. God carries us back 2,000 years, lets us get in on the atoning blood of the Lord Jesus that took away our sin. And can I tell you something? It becomes as fresh as it was 2,000 years ago. God cleanses you. It's called your sanctification. It's a moment-by-moment moment cleansing of the Lord. And that's the reason this is so paramount. Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. For life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it unto the, up on the altar to make atonement for your soul. For it is the blood that makes atonement for your soul. It took the blood of Christ. Took the blood of Christ. Whereby you and I could be reconciled to a holy God and we could truly worship. Now, remember this. Worship is far more than what we do here on Sunday. And we think this is worship, and it can be. Y'all say amen. But worship involves every aspect of your life. Every single moment of obedience, every single moment of obeying God is worship. Whether it's teaching, whether it's serving, whether it's pouring Kool-Aid at VBS, whether it's in here singing, whatever it is, every moment of obedience to God is considered worship. And if sin has to be dealt with before God accepts that worship, then you tell me. If it was that big of a priority to Hezekiah, should it not be for us? See, allowing God to search you, allowing God to work through your perceptions or conceptions concerning your sin, allowing God to let you see it the way he sees it instead of the way you see it. Because I promise you, folks, you look, at our, you look at your sin or I look at my sin through the eyes of my flesh. Listen, I grew up in church all my life. I know many things that God calls sin. 
But if all I had was to see my sin through the eyes of my flesh, I promise you I'll find a way to justify it. I will. But when God lets you see it the way he sees it, then can I tell you what happens? You're willing to draw, draw, drop down and you're willing to lay aside pretense. You're willing to lay aside your pride. You're willing to lay aside your personal feelings. You're willing to lay aside any, anything in your life to just say, this is my sin. And I was wrong. I was wrong. Well, this is the, the priority of reconciliation. But notice what transpires after that. The praise due to rest. So what happens now with Israel? I mean, God's reconciled them. God's accepted the sacrifice of atonement. Now their sin's been dealt with as a nation. And God has accepted that sacrifice on behalf of their sin. So now where does Israel say? Now they're ready to worship. Watch what happens here. This is an amazing little passage. Look at verse 25. And it says, and, in other words, continuation, after the, after the sacrifice, after God accepts the atonement, and he set Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals and psalmstries and harps according to the commandment of David and Gad the king's seer and Nathan the prophet for so was the commandment of the Lord by his prophets. So what took place? The first thing that took place is the obedience of praise, the obedience of worship. In other words... Israel now, having obeyed God, is a priest on behalf of Israel, obeyed God and dealt with the sins of Israel in, in place of the people of Israel. Now God has accepted that. Now what happens? God commanded them how to worship. And they obeyed God on how to worship. Because now they could. Now they were at rest. How many agree when God deals with your sin, you're at rest? You know, it, here, here's the thing, guys. If you can have sin in your life and not be at rest, that is a good sign that you're truly a child of God. But if you can have a sin in your life and be at rest with sin in your life, that's a telltale sign that you're in trouble. Because God won't let a, one of his children rest. Until that sin's dealt with. And so Israel now is at rest. And because Israel is at rest, now they begin to be obedient. Notice what it says. They, how do they do this? According to the commandment of the Lord by his prophets. So how did they worship? Exactly how God said to worship. I mean, in other words, God had laid out with Moses how the children of Israel to, were to do all the things that they did in the temple as, as acts of worship unto him. They were called sweet-smelling savor sacrifices unto him. And God had laid it out clearly how it was to take place. And so how did they worship? Exactly how God said to worship. You know, I was talking to a preacher one time. I ran into a guy and... Um, he, he introduced himself. He said, I'm a pastor. I said, well, great. I said, where are you pastor? He said, he named the church or what he called it. And I said, I've never heard of that. Where's that at? And he said, well, actually, we meet in a bar. And I looked at him and I said, do what? He said, we meet in a bar. I said, well, I said, can I ask you a question? 
I said, what Bible verse or passage do you use to justify that? I thought it was a good question. He didn't think it was good at all. And he, he, he said, well, he said, the basis of what we do this is, as Paul did, we're to be all things to all people. I said, wow. And I said, you got a bad problem. He said, what is it? I can't figure out why he never talks to me anymore. I said, you got a bad problem. He said, what is it? I said, because God will not mingle worship with unholiness. And I said, you need to understand that the only thing God accepts is what he designs. And holiness is his design for his children. You see, we don't worship how we want to worship. We worship how God says to worship. And I'm not talking about our church service. I'm talking about in every aspect of our life. I'm talking about when God prompts my heart to obey Him. That's worship. When God prompts my heart to yield to Him in a certain area of my life, that's worship. You see, we obey God. We worship as God designed worship to be. And this is the obedience of praise. But notice the second thing, the offering of praise. Look with me, if you will, at verse number, number 26. And the Levites stood with the instruments of David and the priest with the trumpets. And Hezekiah commanded to offer a burnt offering upon the altar. And when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord began also with the trumpets and with the instruments ordained by David, king of Israel. Notice what Hezekiah said. He said, all right, guys. He said, you got your... Uh, Instruments of David, what are those? Harps. He said, you got your harps, you got your trumpets. He said, be on standby. Be ready because we're fixing to obey God and we're fixing to worship again because God has accepted our, our sacrifice and God has dealt with our sin. And so now he says, but first, he said, you don't start until what? He said, first, we must offer a burnt offering on behalf of Israel. Now you say, why a burnt offering? Because a burnt offering is Romans 12.1 in the New Testament. Romans 12.1 is, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. The word service is worship. And so in other words, what he's saying is, the burnt offering was that in which Israel would bring as being a, an, an offering of praise and an offering of worship unto God, in that they were saying, I yield and I surrender myself and my family unto you. And that was the burnt offering. And here's what Hezekiah said. He said, listen, when you see the burnt offering start to go ablaze, when you see the burnt offering laid up on the altar, when we lay that offering on behalf of Israel, saying we as Israel want to yield ourselves and surrender ourselves to you as an act of worship, he said, then start playing. Then start singing. Watch what it says. And they sung. Watch what it says in verse number 28. And all the congregation worshiped, and the singers sang, and the trumpets sounded, and all this continued unto the burnt offering was finished so when did they sing they sung as an act of worship and then surrendering themselves to the Lord let me ask you a question real quick okay does the thought of surrendering yourself to the Lord does it cause you to want to sing Now, I promise you, in your flesh, 
Your flesh don't want to surrender. Why? Because your flesh wants to be in control. I mean, your flesh wants to determine what you're going to do with your time, what you're going to do with your life. You don't want, your flesh don't want to yield to anyone. But in your spirit, if you're saved, does just the thought of I get to surrender this to the Lord, does it cause you to want to say? You say, well, preacher, you're taking this out of context. That's not what it means. Oh, it is. Ephesians chapter 5. What Paul said, be ye filled with the Spirit. What's filled with the Spirit mean? Controlled by. How many agree, if you're going to allow him to control you, you've got to surrender to him, to his control. Do you all agree with that? Say amen. He said, be ye filled with the Spirit. Then the next verse. And from them came what? Songs, harmonies, melodies. So what was the outflow of them allowing the Spirit of God to control them? Oh, they had a song in their heart. Listen to Psalm chapter 40, verse 2 and 3. He brought me up out of a horrible pit and out of the miry clay, and he set my feet up on the rock. Are you saved today? Say amen. Did he do that for you? How many agree? Every person saved today, you can say, that happened to me. Now watch what he says. And establish my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. So what happened when God saved you? He put a new song in your heart. I've, I've wanted to do this for years, but God never gives me liberty to do it, and he probably never will, and that's fine. But what I've wanted to do for years is I've wanted to take each Sunday, about 30, 40 people and sit them up in the choir. Not to sing in the choir, just to sit up there while the praise team sings. You say, why is that? Because then they'll see what the praise team and me sing. Am I telling the truth, Ainsley? You, you, you say, well, listen. I'm just not going to sing. Well, you're going to hate heaven. And by the way, you say, well, I'm not going to sing because, listen, I'm not going to embarrass myself around everybody. You're not singing to everybody else. What makes us think we're singing to everybody around us? Well, they're going to hear my voice and I'm going to be embarrassed. Well, get over yourself. Y'all say amen. Listen, I sing like a hoot owl with a post-nasal drip. But I wear it out down here on the front row. 8.30 service. I sung one word before the word was even supposed to be sung. I mean, all three of the praise team members looked down at me and started smiling. I didn't care. I wasn't singing to them. A lot of times when I sing, you can ask the praise team. A lot of times when I sing, I close my eyes. The only time I don't close my eyes is if I don't know the words. You say, why do you close your eyes? Because, I listen, I, 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 my focus is to be on him. And by the way, it don't matter what kind of voice you got. Because you're not singing to man, you're singing to him, and he's got glory ears. See why a lot of people don't sing and they don't have a song. 
See, what took place here is Israel got reconciled to God through the atonement blood sacrifice. And when they did, the burnt offering, they came and they surrendered to him as a nation. And what happened? They sang. Then they sang. Why? The joy of being able to surrender to God and to be able to worship him as he told us to worship. Wow. The offering of praise. But notice the object of praise. Y'all still love me. Say amen. All right, now watch the object of praise. Watch what it says. Look with me, if you will, at verse number 29 and 30. And when they had made an end of offering, the king and all that were present with him bowed themselves and worshipped. Moreover, Hezekiah the king and the princes commanded the Levites to sing praise unto the Lord and the words of David and Ashoph the seer. And they sang praises with gladness. And they bow their heads in worship. I want you to see two words in those two verses, and that's what we're going to key on here. The word bowed and the word worship. You find it in both verses. Now, here's the thing. The word bowed simply means to, to prostrate yourself before God in a bended knee fashion. That's what it means. Well, guess what the word worship means here? Hebrew word means to bend a knee. And you say, well, wait a minute. Why did he say bow and worship if they have the same meaning? Well, they have the same meaning, but they have two different applications. There's an outward, outward worship, but there's also an inward worship. Now you say, preacher, I don't understand. What do you mean? Well, here's the thing. How many agree that I can bow my knees in a position of worship, but still not be worshiping? You see, here's the thing. What he said is, they bowed. I mean, they, they got themselves in a position of humility before God because they knew they were unworthy to be able to worship. But here's what really took place. They had inward worship. What do you mean? They worshiped. What do you mean? They bowed in their hearts. You see, when you bow in your heart, you'll bow with your body. In other words, the worship was not just an outward worship. It was an inward worship that brought forth the outward worship. Let me tell you something. How many of y'all like that song we sung in Christ alone? Isn't that a great song? Why? Because it is in Christ alone. That's our only hope. Let me tell you something. You can stand here and sing that song and still not be worshiped. You say, why? Well, it's just out. You can be singing a song of praise and worship. And at the same time, thinking about your week that you got ahead of you. Or thinking about something that is a burr in your saddle. Y'all do know what I mean by a burr in your saddle. Something that aggravates you. And can I tell you? That's not worship. But when your focus in your heart is bowed before the Lord, and out of the overflow of that worship that's going on in your heart, in Christ alone, my hope is found. You see, here are the people of Israel. The object of their praise was the Lord. And it was reflected in their worship of their heart. 
that was seen in outward worship. Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 31. God says this to Israel. It says, And they come unto thee as people cometh, and they set before thee as my people, and they hear thy words, but they will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love. But. How many agree when you find a but, something changes? But their heart goeth after their covetousness. See, true worship begins with the heart. Well, let me show you thirdly the passion seen in the response. So we have the priority of reconciliation. We have the praise due to rest. And we have a passion seen in the response. Look at verse 31. It says, Then Hezekiah answered and said, Now you have consecrated yourselves unto the Lord. In other words, now you're ready to worship. Come near and bring sacrifices and thank offerings into the house of the Lord. And the congregation brought the sacrifices and thank offerings. As many as were of a free heart, burn offerings. Notice the message in the response. Can I tell you what Hezekiah is saying? All right, guys. Y'all going to let me give you a mountain commentary on this? All right. All right, guys. Listen. Let's praise him. God accepted the blood. We've been reconciled. I mean, God is now willing to accept our worship. And we, as a nation, are singing praises unto him and praising him for accepting the blood. He said now, personally. Notice he's moved away from corporately. He's moved away as a nation as a whole. And now he's dealing personally. He said now, personally. He said bring thanks offerings. And, and then he says this. And if you have a free heart, bring a burn off. What does it mean to have a free heart? It means it's volitional. It's not mandatory. In other words, it's not Hezekiah standing up there and saying, well, people, I'm just here to tell you, if you truly know that God forgave your sin, you will bring a burnt offering. If you don't, you're a heathen. That's not what he said. Y'all say amen. What did he say? He said just if you have a willing heart, bring a burnt offering. See, it's one thing for Jesus to die for all. You remember the atonement was for all of Israel? Y'all remember that? Say amen. How many agrees that Jesus died for all? But see, it's another thing to personally surrender. So here was the message. Give him thanks. And if you're willing, surrender yourself personally as an act of worship unto him. Now, I'm liable to get a little excited here because this rest of this passage lit me up. Okay? Watch what happens here. Boy, this is amazing. Watch what happens. Notice the mindset here. So if they're going to be a, of a free heart burnt offering, Willingly, having a mindset of willingly, without twisting the arm, willingly coming and surrendering themselves as an act of worship unto the Lord. So how'd they respond? Notice the magnitude of the response. Watch what happened in verse 32. And the number of burnt offerings, number of 
people that come and said, I'm willing to surrender as a sweet-smelling savor, offering unto the Lord. Watch what it says. And the number of the burnt offerings the congregation brought was three, core, uh, three score, ten bullock, a hundred rams, two hundred lambs, and they were for a burnt offering to the Lord. And the consecrated things were six hundred oxen and three thousand sheep. But the priests were too few, so that they could not flay all the burnt offerings. Wherefore, their brethren, the Levites, had to help them, till the work was ended, until the other priests had sanctified themselves. For the Levites were more upright in their heart to sanctify themselves than the priests. Let me tell you what happened here. These people got so under the reality that God had reconciled them unto himself, accepted the blood, and in praise and worship and singing unto him, now in a willingness of heart, a free heart, so many people brought a offering saying we want to surrender ourselves to God that there wasn't enough priests to put them up on the altar boy wouldn't that be a good day in church now aren't you glad today you don't have to bring a burnt offering anymore Jesus is that but what would happen if we got so overwhelmed that the Lord was willing to reconcile me unto himself. That just out of a heart of gratitude that I can't get over. We've been a knee before the Lord and raised up the white flag of surrender and say, here I am. Whatever you need to show me, whatever I need to yield to you in, here I am. What would happen? If so many people got so in awe and so thankful for what God did for them, that there wasn't a room, enough room in the aisles for everybody to bend a knee. Look at this. It was an outward response. They brought the offerings to the priest. Outward. Now, a lot of people say, well, you know, preacher, listen, you know, my surrender, my worship, it's a personal thing. It's just between me and the Lord. How many agree that Israel could have took that mindset and said, well, you know, listen, I want to surrender myself to the Lord, but, you know, I don't want to make a show of things. I don't want people to think that something about me that, that's not true of me. And I, don't, I sure don't want people to know that, I, that I've sinned and I've messed up and I'm not surrendered. So I'm just going to go out behind my house and offer a lamb. You say, well, preacher, we'd never do that. Well, you're not right because you don't have to bring a lamb. Y'all say amen. But can I do, tell you we do the same thing? When I decide that I can just, I can just sit here and deal with the Lord. Somebody asked me, a preacher this week actually asked me, he called me and he said, Pastor, he said, I need to talk through something with you. I said, sure, what is it? He said, why do we teach an invitation of coming before the Lord? And I said, it's real simple. I said, number one, it humbles yourself. See, I can in pride sit in my seat. But to get on my knees 
You're humbling yourself. Number two, it's a witness. Let me ask you a question. The people that you sit around Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, do they know about you that when God deals with something in your life, that you're quickly to surrender to him? I believe with all my heart that when God deals with us, that we ought to deal with it as God said to deal with it. Y'all with me? Say amen. And I'm going to tell you what I've seen over the years. A lot of times, it just takes one person obeying God. And it's like somebody takes the finger out of the dam. And it just breaks loose. But on the same time, sometimes it just takes one person not obeying God. And it's like somebody sticking their finger in it. Because now, as God designed worship to be for Israel... It was now set in order. It was now taking place, just as God said it would be. And the Bible says in verse 36, And Hezekiah rejoiced, and all the people that God had prepared for the thing was done suddenly. So here's your invitation. I'm going to make it simple. Right here, right now, where you sit. Is there anything in your life that's keeping you from being truly an acceptable worship offering unto the Lord? Second question is, are you willing to ask the Lord to show you if there's anything? Third thing is this simple. If he has showed you something, are you willing to identify with your burnt offering the Lord Jesus in absolute surrender and absolute obedience? Folks, when that takes place, only heaven knows what God will do. Not only in you, your family, but in this church. Because when he does a work in our hearts, my heart first, and our worship, our service, our yieldedness, our obedience, whatever God has us to do, when he accepts it as being true worship, a sweet-smelling savor of Christ, And here's what happens. God manifests himself every time.